0: This week Sophia showed it to me and I couldn't help but want to try that thing with arms right away. I want to give you a chance to try that with somebody next to you because I know you want to do it. So would you stand up if you're able and uh, maybe you came with somebody maybe they're a total stranger you feel weird doing this but talk about it and try it. There's the push straight down and then the push inward. See if you can tell a difference. Alright. Did it work? Can you tell the difference? No? Are you saying the rocks are magic? Alright, well, Last summer, my family and I had a chance to do something that was maybe one of those kind of once-in-a-lifetime things. Uh, My brother was getting married in England to a British woman. They were having their wedding in the English countryside, and knowing we would not miss that, spending time with him on such a special day, we decided to plan a trip to Europe that did not just involve time in the English countryside, but why not stop and spend some time in Paris, the City of Lights? Uh, We had a great time. I won't show you all the photos. But of course, what is the most iconic thing somebody's got to do when they're in Paris? Yes, they must go see the Eiffel Tower. And uh, if they're lucky, not just go see it, but go up the Eiffel Tower. This is video I shot halfway up the Eiffel Tower right when the lights turned on. Um, Our family had a chance to do that. We picked just the right time, twilight as the sun was setting, but still a little bit of light in the sky. Beautiful views of the city, although uh, if you're afraid of heights, you you definitely want to think twice about this. And, um, of course, lots of history in the Eiffel Tower, right? Uh, Maybe some of you know it was built in 1889 for the World's Fair. And at first, at first it was considered an eyesore by people. Uh, Some in Paris called it useless and monstrous, One critic called it a lamppost stuck in the belly of Paris. It does kind of look like a lamppost. And uh, another referred to it as a giant, ungainly skeleton. And Parisians actually took comfort in the fact it was only going to be there for 20 years. 20 years. Yes, 2 million people visited it in 1889. But when 20 years were up, they would tear this thing down. And then the radio was invented. And at 1,000 feet tall, the Eiffel Tower became too valuable as a what? Radio antenna. It was able to broadcast to Europe and North Africa, so the government decided to keep it. And the rest is history. Here it stands 135 years later getting 7 million visitors a year, the most uh, visited paid monument in the world. Although, when you hear that it's 135 years old, it really makes you second-guess going up it, doesn't it? Uh, But there's another part of its history not too many people know about. In the 1920s, a man named Victor Lustig conned people into buying the Eiffel Tower. Because the tower was never meant to stand more than 20 years, it needed frequent repairs, expensive repairs. And so Lustig, pretending to be a government official from Paris, met with scrap metal merchants from all across the city, and he told them the government was going to scrap the Eiffel Tower in order to save money, and he went to a lot of effort to make this story believable, including forging paperwork with the French government seal, holding meetings at a nearby luxury hotel, He made it obvious to everyone interested he would sell the Eiffel Tower to anybody willing to knock it down and discard and recycle all of the metal. So, one man, Andrew Poisson, a trader, was very interested. Victor Lustig had talked such a good game. Poisson was committed to being the buyer, and he went to this con man, and he paid him a bribe of roughly $70,000 in cash, which is worth over a million dollars today to guarantee he would be awarded the winning bid. Not only was he conned into buying it, he, he actually bribed the con man into letting him have it. Lustig took the money, and he fled Paris. It was only after Poisson shelled out all the the cash that he realized he had been duped. The Eiffel Tower was not for sale, and he felt so humiliated by the theft, he decided not to report it. One year later, Lustig came back and found another buyer, tried to sell the Eiffel Tower again. And if you ever get a chance, it's a fascinating story to read about this man. He actually moved here to San Francisco Bay Area, uh, where he tried to sell people the Golden Gate Bridge. No, but actually, he did end up in Alcatraz. He ended up in Alcatraz. Uh, As you read about the cons and so many others like it, it is easy to see how you can get fooled. Now, that was the 1920s. Can we talk about the 2020s? Or how about 2016? In 2016, a whistleblower raised concerns about Elizabeth Holmes and her company Theranos. Elizabeth Holmes had claimed that she had revolutionized blood testing with a new product that was going to make testing easier and faster and cheaper, but the technology did not work. At one point, one year earlier, Holmes had been declared the youngest and richest self-made female billionaire in the world. Theranos was valued at $9 billion, but all of that was built on lies. Within a year, investigations revealed she'd been misleading investors and regulators for years through made-up and exaggerated claims about her technology. She was tried, convicted, and sent to prison. She'll be released from prison in Texas in December of 2032. But the damage, you guys, the damage, she raised nearly a billion dollars from sophisticated investors, um, names who I will not read in case somehow they stumble across my sermon, but people you know and you trust with money. And it's just to say that we can all be fooled. It is so easy to be fooled in this world, fooled by other people and fooled by ourselves. And if it was just about con men and people getting our money, then I don't know that it would be worth you sitting here today listening because you could watch a documentary about cons on Netflix and learn how to avoid con artists and not lose your money. Now, the problem is that often we get fooled about things that don't affect our wallet, they affect our relationships. And we get fooled by things and people that we give our time to that suck the life out of us, our energy, our energy. And my observation is that sometimes when we get fooled by people and philosophies and concepts and ideals, it can often affect our faith, even our hope. I was thinking about this. By now we all know someone that has decided they're done with church or that they're done with God. Maybe, maybe that's a, a family member we've got or a friend. Maybe that's you and we at Crosswinds are your last-ditch effort before you abandon it altogether. If you've ever known somebody who's left their faith, often somewhere in there is somebody who felt fooled by people of faith that they put their trust in. I say it because losing money is the least worrisome thing about being fooled or conned. It's It's losing our relationships with our own family and our friends and losing our faith and losing ourselves. And it is at this point in church that you would expect a pastor to say, and that is why you should only put your faith in God, because he won't let you down. But the problem is, that's a little too simple. You have to put your faith in people too. You've got to trust somebody. You can't make it through this world without having faith in someone. Even Jesus put faith in some people. And I've not forgotten a few of them did let him down. Yes, put your trust in God, but you're going to have to trust some other people too. And the question that comes up as we kick off this series, how do you do that in a way that doesn't make you the fool? Jeremiah 17.9 says this fascinating thing, that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And I used to think that that meant we lie to ourselves, we fool ourselves, and it does mean that. But can I tell you what it also means? That sometimes our heart is deceitful about others that we so want to believe. Sometimes our heart is deceitful because it wants to trust somebody, and it gives its trust to something that isn't worthy. And it's fascinating because Jesus, who had every opportunity to say, trust God and everything will work out, He didn't say that. Jesus knew that you needed to trust people too. But he also wanted his followers to know that some people were not trustworthy. And he took the time to tell his followers what to watch out for. In fact, Jesus challenged his followers to question the people in things that would fool them. And question their own assumptions. He took the time to say, if you're not careful, here's how you might find yourself fooled. In this series, we want to spend some time with you talking about the things that Jesus was hoping you might see. Um, Can I tell you, if there is one series this year that I am most excited about, it is this one. I've taught on many things in 30 years as a pastor, never taught on this. Each week, we're going to spend time looking at the way a different person in the Bible is fooled, On some Sundays like today, we're going to give you a thing to watch for, to to know when you're falling for it. We're even going to talk about why it is so easy to be fooled the way that that person finds themselves fooled. And then we're going to learn how to defend against it. And today, I want to look in the Bible with you at one way we're fooled that could not be more timely, and and it is about something that happens in us when we're around a certain kind of person. It's something that I want to call today the confidence effect. Would you say that with me? Can we just say it together? The confidence effect. To explain it to you, I want to ask you to imagine something that is certainly kind of weird, all right? Imagine for a second you're feeling a little bit sick. So, you go see a doctor. The problem is, it's the year 1200. And medical science isn't that good. You get to your doctor, and he or she cuts you, although in 1200 it's probably a he, and he lets a little bit of blood out of your body, and then he gives you a plant. You have no idea what the plant is, tells you to rub it on your stomach, do that, he says, and you will feel better. You don't get better, you get worse. But you listen to this person, and why do you listen? Because they are an authority. Now, what makes them a person of authority? Well, people say they're a person of authority. They hang a sign on their door that says doctor on it. That makes them a person of authority. Maybe they apprenticed under somebody who, who everyone thought of as a person of authority, but, but that does not make them right or even good at what they do. Think about this. Up until the advent of modern science, medicine was terrible. If you did ancient medicine to someone today, they would call it malpractice, right? Or there'd be lawsuits. Maybe we would even consider it torture. It's just to say, because you were a medical authority in 1200, didn't mean you were right. But people believed them. Now, we could all say, thank God we live in a modern age, right? Well, as recently as 1950, that's some of your lifetimes, people were doing barbaric, unscientific medical treatments like lobotomies and we reflect back on this stuff today it seems horrible but at the time people didn't see it that way back then that stuff was cutting-edge science these were the smartest doctors around after all they spoke with authority and people trusted them they were the experts how could they be wrong and so patient after patient went into their offices and they trusted these doctors to help them get better but they ended up getting worse Now, why did people do it? Because we have a tendency to believe people who are authorities, even self-proclaimed authorities, because they speak with confidence. This is the confidence effect. Our tendency is to believe people who speak with authority. Whether they have official authority or not, they speak with authority. And it causes us to believe them. We are often fooled by people who say what they say confidently, even if what they say is wrong, deceitful, and untrustworthy. Why do we fall for it? We're going to talk about that in a minute. But this this is something I am shocked we are fooled by in 2024. And this is something that Jesus talks about with his followers passage I want to look at with you is in Matthew 15. And and it is this moment where Jesus is confronted by Pharisees and the teachers of the law because his disciples have been eating food without washing their hands. And, and, And they say to Jesus, your disciples are breaking the law. For what it's worth, the real concern wasn't about cleanliness. It was about religious ritual. Jesus, your disciples are not following our rituals. And Jesus says to them, you hypocrites, You do the same with things far more significant than what you eat. You break the law with things that come out of your mouth. This is that famous moment where Jesus says, what goes into someone's mouth is not what defiles them, but what comes out of their mouth. There is this heated exchange. Now, so you know, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are authority figures. They are the religious leaders, and with it comes political leadership, and then with that comes legal leadership. I mean, they are authority upon authority upon authority. Their job was to tell people how to live and interpret God's law for people. And while they didn't invent God's law, they invented laws surrounding God's law as a way of explaining God's law and applying God's law. And if you wanted to understand what God wanted, these authority figures were going to tell you. And in Jesus' time, people wanted them to tell them. This was the system that people bought into. The Bible's confusing. God's law is confusing. We need somebody to help explain it to us with confidence. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they are trusted authorities. So they come to Jesus' as authorities, and they say, you and your disciples should not, you cannot do this. And Jesus says, yes, we can, and you do worse. Well... Right after this encounter in verse 12, we pick up. Here's where we read. It says, Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? Jesus, you ticked off the authorities, and that is not good. Now, this line is set up for what's next, but I don't want to move too fast. I I actually think this question they ask Jesus is important because the disciples are kind of worried here, right? Hey, Jesus, that wasn't a good move. Those people are our authorities, Jesus. And we've learned to respect our elders and respect people in authority, and God put them there for a reason, Jesus. All of that stuff. We we tend to look at the words of the Pharisees today and, and, and we are immediately distrusting. That was not necessarily the case with the disciples. The other reason this is important, sometimes we get this picture that Jesus and his disciples are a group of revolutionaries out to (laughs) stick it to the man. And and I will say Jesus was revolutionary, and there were a couple people on his team that definitely were. I'm talking about Peter chopping off a soldier's ear and Judas, who was very likely part of a group called the Zealots who were revolting against authority. But, But this was not a group intent on destroying the system. We're fighting authority because here we see them saying, Jesus, why are you upsetting our religious leaders? They're your religious leaders too, Jesus. Look at what he says. Verse 13. Every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Now, there's some metaphor there. Let's dive into that. The metaphor of these leaders as plants and as blind guides. Let's dive into these metaphors a little bit. Plants. Jesus says right here, there are some leaders that have been planted by God, but these are not. And they will be pulled up by their roots. Basically, authorities are like plants. Some are planted by God. Some are not. And those who are not, God will pull up like weeds. All right, can we pause for a second? What that means is just because somebody is planted as an authority figure does not mean that God is the one that planted them there. What Jesus is saying is just because somebody's in a position of authority does not mean that God put them there. Um, You've heard me say as a pastor many times in a series or a message I'm giving, I'm not trying to be political or even refer to politics. I'm sure some of the things we may be talking about on a day, can maybe you can't help but think of politics, but it doesn't mean that's what I'm talking about. It's just where your mind goes because these days it's hard. Every single thing seems to be political. Well, let me tell you today, I am talking about politics right now with this point. This series, where we talk about being fooled, is going to at times feel political, and it is political, especially this one, the confidence effect, is we talk about people who speak with authority, fooling us. You cannot help but think of politicians or the government, and that's okay. I want you to think of that. I think Jesus wanted us to think of that in this moment that we're reading. But here's the thing. I'm not going to tell you which person or which political party has people that speak with such strength and confidence that they'll fool you, because guess what? They both do. They all do. Think about this. Our system is designed to reward candidates who speak with authority and speak with confidence and, and seem like they know what they're doing. And real quick, this does get into the why. Why do we get fooled by people who say what they say with authority and with confidence? Because in uncertain times, what could be more comforting than a candidate who knows the answers and can say them with certainty? Uh, Imagine for a second a candidate who said, I don't know what to do about the border. It's gonna take me four years to figure it out, and by then, I'll be running again and unable to devote any time to problem solving. Really, it's my second term where I'll do things, and my hope is to surround myself with people smarter than me because I don't know anything about this stuff. You would never vote for that person. I probably wouldn't either. It's to say, if it feels like I'm talking about politicians, yes. But I'm not taking a side here. Those decisions are yours to make. What I'm telling you is, just because someone has been planted in authority does not mean they were planted by God. Now, another thing here, another thing. This is so important. Look at who Jesus is talking about here in this passage. Religious leaders. These are people who know Scripture better than anybody. They spend more time in prayer than anybody. They go to synagogue. They, they go to prayer breakfasts. Obviously, their affiliation with religion is not evidence that they were planted by God. If it was so, then they would be planted by God. These are the ones, though, that God's going to pull up, the most religious. Okay, affiliation with religion, which, by the way... Both of our presidential candidates claim affiliation with religion, right? Every president in my lifetime has said that they are a Christian. But affiliation with religion is not evidence that God has planted somebody who's in authority. Don't be fooled. Let's go back to the passage, the second metaphor he uses there, blind guides. He says, look, these people that you look to as authority figures and trust to guide you, Jesus says, They are blind. They cannot guide you anywhere. He's saying, disciples that I love, my friends, just just because somebody speaks with authority doesn't mean they're a person of insight or wisdom or that they even see things that you don't see. Just because you think they know more than you doesn't make it true. It doesn't mean they're right. And if you look to them as the experts and you consider yourself as one who's not... You will follow them into a pit, the blind leading the blind. All right, let's talk about that. Why does somebody need a guide? When I was in college, there was a guy on my floor who was kind of a know-it-all. Now, we were able to see through this a few months into the year, but at first, he just seemed to know everything, the, the answer to everything. You ever met somebody like that? Every, you know, there, There's no subject that they do not know about. And uh, after a while, we wondered how one person could possibly know the answer to everything on the planet. And so we started asking him the most ridiculous questions to see if he would ever admit he didn't know, his lack of knowledge. Questions like, when did time begin, Dave? Or, uh, Dave, where does a thought go when it's forgotten? Never did admit it. He would look you in the eye and make things up with a straight face about things there's no way he could possibly know. No one knows. All right, he was not an authority figure in our lives. He was a classmate, but he spoke with authority. And when people speak with authority about things you don't know the answer to, we tend to believe them. It's the confidence effect. Why? Why do we do that? Because life gets confusing. Because I can't know everything about every subject. I need somebody more knowledgeable than me on a lot of things to guide me through the things that I'm not an expert in and I don't have time to know about or skills to know about. And so, what's easiest for me is to just trust a person who speaks with confidence and authority because obviously they know more. I'm blind, I'll just trust this person with sight to guide me. But Jesus says, those people speaking with authority that we all believe are so wise, often they do not have any more sight than you, they are just as blind. It's just that they talk in such a way that makes you think they know things that you don't. Now, Isaiah 56, Old Testament passage, actually explores this concept incredibly deeply. In fact, Jesus, probably referring to Isaiah 56 when he's talking about blind guides. God says in verse 10 of Isaiah 56, Israel's watchmen are blind. God is talking about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and They all lack knowledge. They are mute dogs. They cannot bark. They lie around and dream. They love to sleep. They are dogs with mighty appetites. They have never had enough. They are shepherds who lack understanding. They all turn to their own way They seek their own gain. What's fascinating about that passage to me, it paints a picture of the motivations behind people who speak with authority. It paints a picture that Jesus himself does not paint, but I imagine his disciples who who knew this Isaiah passage thought of it when Jesus called the Pharisees blind guides. What is their motivation? Why do they do what they do? As verse 11 says, to seek their own gain, to turn to their own way. God is saying we should be cautious about following somebody just because they speak with authority because sometimes people who speak with confidence have an agenda. Okay, as a person who's a pastor, and maybe somebody somewhere might think of a person who speaks with confidence, can I tell you, I always have an agenda. (laughs) The question is, is my agenda me or is my agenda you? Everyone has an agenda, and the reason to be careful when somebody speaks with confidence is often that confidence is meant to convince you to do what serves their own gain. Their confidence makes you think it's for your good, but it's really about their own gain. And Jesus suggests do not trust people just because they speak with confidence because their confidence is often meant to serve them. The other thing it says in this passage about blind guides, says they lack understanding. It calls them shepherds who lack understanding. What that means is even the best don't know as much as they think they do. Once upon a time, uh, Cook County Hospital in Chicago had tons of patients coming in complaining about chest pains. And they couldn't just send everybody away who complained, because after all, some of these people were going to have heart attacks, But at the same time, they didn't have a big enough team to treat all of them, so they needed a way that they could quickly, accurately tell who to treat, who to send away, and they found a solution. Doctors would use a decision tree to diagnose their patients, basically a tree that told them signs of high risk. And if a patient showed just one sign of being high risk, they would get admitted. If they didn't, they would get sent home. Well, the doctors all complained. They said a simple formula like that was not gonna cut it. People are gonna die. The doctors were wrong. After switching to this simple formula, Cook County Hospital ended up making more accurate diagnoses, saving more lives. In other words, Cook County Hospital got better results by removing expert judgment, not by adding more expert judgment. The expert judgment was worse than a simple mathematical formula. And what this showed them was that sometimes an algorithm was more accurate at predicting something than a person, than an expert. Now, why is that? Because the human brain is not a precise instrument. All kinds of stuff can throw our ability to make decisions way out of whack. For example, doctors are more likely to prescribe antibiotics in the afternoon when they're tired. If you want an antibiotic, choose 4 o'clock in the afternoon. You're likely to get what you want. Judges are more likely to pass a harsher sentence right before lunch when they're hungry than right after lunch when they've eaten. If you are finding yourself in court and about to have a sentence passed on you, choose wisely. It means Not that you get to choose, I guess. That means a lot of expert opinion is possibly totally wrong. And it means that God is right when he says to Isaiah, even expert shepherds, I mean, they are really shepherds, even they lack understanding. It's to say, even people in our lives who speak with authority, even they get it wrong. Even experts get it wrong. Don't be so quick to follow a blind guide. One other thing, this passage on blind guide seems to point to people in authority, uh, You know, not just lack understanding, but they refuse to admit they lack knowledge. Okay, here's the truth. We don't know everything. Look, we've uncovered lots of secrets of the universe. We like to think we know all the secrets, but we're wrong. The human mind is really bad at admitting our ignorance. We like to think we have all the answers. We always have a way to justify the answer we have, but I don't know about you. I am suspicious of anyone who claims that they know how to solve complicated problems simply, who makes it sound like it's going to be easy. We get fooled because we want solutions. If you say you've got the answers loud enough, you can win us over. But the Bible says we all lack knowledge. So what do we do? Because the goal today is not to just tell you why you shouldn't trust authority or people who speak with authority. And and real quick, when I say speak with authority, I don't mean a person who holds authority over you. Um, It could even be your college friend down the hall, right? It could be your neighbor, your pastor, your, your spouse. But yes, it could be your boss or your team lead or your elected official. Is the Bible saying, do not trust people who speak with authority? No, because you've got to trust someone. Then how do we know in this world who's trustworthy and who is not? Well, can I very quickly show you something the Bible says about Jesus that blew my mind this week? In Matthew 7, Jesus has just finished giving the Sermon on the Mount. And the Bible ends that story with this line. It says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, this wonderful Sermon on the Mount, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. It says, Jesus Taught with authority. Now, we've been talking about people who've been speaking with authority all morning and perhaps why we should be suspicious of them and careful. Why am I showing you a passage that says that Jesus spoke with authority? Good question. I have always read this passage as Jesus spoke with authority, unlike the teachers of the law, who I assumed it meant did not speak with authority. But we know from the rest of the Gospels that they did, that they were the blind leading the blind. What I came to realize this actually means is that the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he spoke with authority differently than the way the Pharisees and teachers of the law did. And I wonder if the Bible is trying to point us to this kind of speaking in authority or with authority that is worth trusting in, that which looks like Jesus, So let's talk about it. What looks like Jesus? How did Jesus speak? I'm going to give you four things he did, and I'm going to give them to you in like 30 seconds each. They are worth sermons of their own, but today they're just a list for you to file away. Okay? How did he speak? Never with arrogance. When Jesus interacted with others, even though he knew, he knew he had all the answers, he was Jesus. He spoke with confidence, but he didn't flaunt his inside knowledge with arrogance. He didn't think about this. He didn't use his authority to shame other people, to trick other people, to disempower other people. Always spoke humbly. Okay. The next one, he invited conversation. He participated in dialogues. He asked questions. Even when he didn't need to hear the answers himself, he was Jesus, he knew those answers. He knew that the way a person would be won over was to engage them in dialogue, not just speak at them, Jesus would talk to anyone about anything, even when they disagreed. The third one, he encouraged questions. He wanted his followers to seek out the truth for themselves, which they knew they would ultimately find in him. But he knew if they're going to own that, then they need to find it through wrestling with questions. He encouraged questions. The last one, he made himself vulnerable. You know, I can say Jesus was humble, never with arrogance, more than humble. He was vulnerable. What I mean by that is he allowed himself to be critiqued and challenged and pushed back on. His confidence, his authority was never teemed with a, how dare you disagree with me? He always spoke with love. Okay, if you don't see those characteristics in a person who speaks with authority, they're going to fool you. They are going to let you down. Jesus was confident, but he was not a con artist. He was the opposite of a con artist. You could say he was a humility artist, a a, a vulnerability artist, um, an anti-con artist. And I can just imagine, you guys, I can imagine a church full of people who are so in love with that version of a leader who speaks with authority that they will not fall for anything else. You don't have to fall for anything other than that. All right, will you stand with me? Let's pray together before we go today. God, how lucky are we that in a world full of people who would try to win us over for their own selfish gain, we have a Savior who's modeled something so different in the way they speak with confidence, that we have a Savior who we can have confidence in And because of that, we know what we're looking for in the people around us who would speak to us in authority, with authority. God, may we know what it is to put our trust in people who will not let us down. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for coming today. We'll see you next week.